a fetus becomes a person when the woman carrying it decides that it does. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to our defense. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys. What are we to make of that opening quote? Let's hear it again. A fetus becomes a person when the woman carrying it decides it does. Doesn't that seem kind of ridiculous? I'm just thinking about it. I have a 15-month-old son, and I have another son who's in the womb who, oh boy, uh, six or seven months or so. Um, could I say about the about both of them, you know, these two, the 15-month-old and the six-month-in-the-womb, uh, they become a person when I, as their parent, decide that they become a person. We would think it's ridiculous for me to say it about my 15-month-old son who's been 15 months uh, outside of the womb. Why wouldn't we say it's ridiculous when we're talking about my six-month-old son? Yeah, I mean, that we have to be consistent in that way. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And to do that... Uh, I'd like to introduce my co-host, the one who has been with me from the very beginning, uh, faithful Cam Cote. Cam, thank you, thank you so much for coming back on, my friend. It is always a pleasure. I'm waiting for one day to just hear a, a podcast episode published that I'm not a part of, and you just didn't invite me back on. So I'm, I'm glad that you keep inviting me back. It's been a lot of fun so far. We've gotten a lot of good feedback and a lot of good interest from you, the faithful listeners. Um, and yeah, it, it's a joy to be back on to talk about um, this statement that you led off with. I feel like it could either be a really short episode or a really long episode. So uh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned I welcome you, but I'm not really welcoming you. I mean, this is our podcast. I, I can't act like this is my podcast and you're the, the you know, the eternal guest. But uh, this is our podcast together. But yes, we want to talk about a document that we discovered online. We didn't just discover it recently. We've known about it for a long time. It is called How to Think About the Fetus, and it was written by Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. Cam, could you introduce uh, ARC as we know them, the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada? Yeah, so the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, Executive Director Joyce Arthur, we've had a lot of experience observing the way that she lobbies and uh, attempts to advance abortion access in the country, um, whether it's through lobbying places like New Brunswick, trying to get their um, abortion facility to be tax covered, whether it's um, other kind of advancements of access for abortion, the abortion pill, as it was brought into um, Canada RU46, also just trying to lobby for more bubble zones and not only are they trying to advance um, abortion access and availability in Canada, but they also obviously do a lot of work to try to hinder the work of 
pro-life organizations. Checking out their website, their, their mission statement is as follows, to ensure the reproductive freedom by, product, by protecting and advancing rights and access to abortion and to quality of reproductive health care. Sorry, I'll say that again. To ensure reproductive freedom by protecting and advancing rights and access to abortion and to quality of reproductive health cares. Um, I love good euphemism as much as the next guy. Um, except when, like the Abortion Rights Coalition accountability euphemisms about reproductive freedoms and reproductive health care is all about ensuring that more preborn children are killed year after year in Canada. Yeah, that's right. I mean, who doesn't love reproductive freedom? Who doesn't love protecting and advancing rights? Uh, who doesn't love health care and all of those things? But as you say, if that ends up in the slaughter of preborn children, their decapitation and dismemberment, then we should probably be asking whether those actions should be a right at all. But yeah, like you've mentioned, uh, ARC has been uh, involved in lobbying and working against pro-life organizations like CCBR uh, in various ways. And, and one of them is working with local groups, working with pro-abortion groups, just like CCBR works with pro-life groups across the country. Uh, they work with pro-choice university clubs and all of that across the country. Now, you might be asking, why are we dealing with ARC, the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada? And I would say we're, we're, we're talking about them for the same reason that we talked about Bill Nye several episodes ago. And this is it. Uh, they are an authority within the pro-abortion movement in Canada, uh, arguably, they're the most prominent pro-abortion group in Canada. Uh, working with the clubs, people look to them for guidance, for information, for leadership in keeping abortion l completely legal and uh, quote-unquote safe, as they call it. So uh, this is the authority that people on the pro-abortion side, the pro-choice side, are looking to. And for those of you who spend time on the streets, some of these arguments are ones that we do here on the streets. Uh, if you're working with a a local university club, uh, a pro-life club, and there's a pro-choice club on campus, there's a really good chance that the information that they are getting is from ARC. And so we want to equip you, uh, which is one of our main goals here at uh, the Pro-Life Guys podcast, to be able to respond in a way that is effective and winsome. So to, 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 to open it up, like I mentioned earlier, we're talking about a document that they put out called How to Think About the Fetus. Cam, could you start us off with the very first point, which is called the fetus focus fallacy? Yeah, so I, I was actually fairly impressed. Often we get a lot of straw man arguments about the pro-life position when abortion advocates try to talk about uh, responding to our position. But I, I was actually impressed by Joyce Arthur in, in this capacity in that she starts and throughout the document, she focuses on the fact that pro-lifers want to focus the conversation on the humanity of the preborn, the fetus, the human fetus that we're talking about. And she dives directly into this by challenging this, this notion and, and stating that focusing on the fetus always has dire legal and social consequences for the woman. And as soon as we give special rights to the fetus, we separate them from their mothers and create an adversarial relationship that hurts both. And so I, in some ways, I'm impressed that she kind of recognized this conversation ar around fetal rights, around whether or not all humans should get human rights and whether or not human rights should begin when the human's life begins. And, but obviously she's, she's shown her hand very early that she is not a fan whatsoever of this idea of a preborn child, a human fetus 
getting any kind of rights. And in some ways, I, I feel like it, it's coming from a kind of a position of fear almost that that when, yeah, if if in your mind this becomes an adversarial relationship and there are dire legal and social consequences, obviously it makes sense why somebody would fight hard to not get into a fight, right? Like, like thankfully, people don't like getting into fights a whole lot. Uh, we're not in high school anymore, at least my high school. Yeah, but I, I think it's important to recognize, I mean, right off the hop that this idea of as soon as we separate them from their mothers, we're generating uh, an adversarial relationship as though we had a choice whether or not we're going to separate this human from their mother, whether we're going to treat them as a single human being in which it's just the mother and this is a blob of tissue that's somehow attached or a part of the mother or something separate. Because, I mean, as I mean, we're going to be a, a, a repeating record on this. Uh, biology is already separated the preborn child from the mother, that, that this isn't something that we're doing because we want to generate an adversarial relationship any more than we're separating, like you mentioned right off the hop, of, of separating a born child from the mother, that these are two social and biological entities that have individual interests and, and rights to go along with them. And so biology is already separated this preborn child from the mother and accurately acknowledge that that whether it's a little boy or a little girl is a unique member of the human species from the moment of fertilization. And so we we re need to acknowledge the fact that, that this separation isn't something that we're, we're trying to read into this relationship. It's something that we're simply acknowledging because of the biological situation. And as, as you mentioned off the bat, and as we're going to mention a whole heck of a lot more times going forward, that we're going we're gonna to try to toddler an awful lot of times. We're going to talk about separating the preborn child from the mother just like we separate the born child from the mother when we're talking about who gets human rights and how many humans we're dealing with. And, and, and it begs the question, does acknowledging them as a unique individual necessarily create an adversarial relationship? Obviously, it creates a more um, challenging and complicated solution to whatever challenges and problems the mother might be dealing with. We talked about this in most of our episodes, that if abortion didn't kill a preborn child, that would be a, a very convenient and arguably very simple solution to a lot of the problems that, that mothers face um, in today's day and age. And yet the reality is obviously that abortion does kill an innocent human being, and this is a human life from the moment of fertilization. And so we need to find more, whether it's more creative more complicated, more sophisticated. We need to find better solutions for mothers so that their best or only option doesn't include killing an innocent human being. Yeah, that's right. And I just want to highlight what you mentioned, Cam, about trotting out the toddler. I'm sure we've mentioned it on an episode before. Uh, but what we mean when we're, we're, we talk about trotting out the toddler is comparing a, a toddler to a preborn child in the exact same circumstance. So if someone brings to you a circumstance, you take out the preborn child, uh, place in a toddler, and then ask if abortion uh, would still be justified in that case. And if it isn't justified with, with a toddler, then why would we allow it when, you know, for the for that toddler, perhaps this very same child, uh, but just a little bit younger and in, in a different environment. But that makes me think, Cam, of, um, you know, this is something we talk about a lot when we talk about the violinist analogy uh, from Judith Jarvis Thompson. And we're going to be doing a whole episode on that uh, and how to unpack that. But it makes me think about one of the, the, the points that we make, you know, what is the purpose and the function of the uterus, of the womb? 
And, uh, you know, the purpose and the function of a, of a woman's kidney is to be in her body for her body. Uh, but when we're talking about, you know, just a clump of cells, just a, this is just a part of a woman, we have to ask ourselves, you know, is this child really a part of the woman um, or, yes, attached, but still a unique part? And the purpose and function of a womb is to be in the body of a mother for the bodies of her offspring, um, for her children. And so to say that, you know, uh, abortion uh, is just like removing a clump of cells, uh, like any other medical procedure, um, is not taking into account what the womb actually is for. And as you mentioned, Cam, uh, the biology of the preborn child. We've talked about this in episode two. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. That was many episodes ago. Um, many episodes ago. We're only on like episode 12, but uh, it's, it's 10 episodes ago or so. Um, but yeah, human life, your life, my life, Cam's life began at fertilization. Yeah. And, and I mean, to build on what you had said about um, the, the function of the uterus versus the function of the kidney or any other part of the body, obviously we have to be delicate in how we communicate that point. Um, we don't obviously want to give the notion that um, a woman's uterus doesn't belong to her. Um, it, it's not like she's just some kind of baby factory that's pumping out babies. We have to be delicate in how we understand um, the principle um, benefactor, arguably, of that environment and how that environment, yeah, is, is um, for the livelihood and um, development of her preborn child, that sort of thing. Um, but be, be intentional in how you communicate that point so that it, you don't convey this kind of mothers don't have control over their uterus because the uterus isn't even theirs. Obviously, the uterus belongs to them. Um, but also for the benefit and protection of that, that child, right, Peter? Yeah, no, that's right. I, I wonder then, Cam, uh, how, how we would respond to this. In the document, uh, Joyce Arthur mentions, and I quote, focusing on the fetus also devalues women because it usurps their moral decision-making as well as their bodies and wombs, end quote. How, how would we respond to that? Well, I think, I think it's an interesting question, and it's certainly something that I've encountered on street corners and doorsteps um, time after time. I, I mean, I was out door knocking literally yesterday uh, with my buddy Sean, and Sean's awesome for the record. Um, we, we were out door knocking, and we talked to this guy who said, like, in saying that the, the preborn child gets human rights, doesn't that mean that you're saying that, that mothers are basically without value and that they, they're not able to make any of their own decisions and all that sort of thing? And and this is a common misunderstanding that, that we're not saying that a preborn child is more valuable. We're not trying to say that, that women and mothers are not valuable human beings. Obviously, we think that all human beings should get human rights. An interesting question that, that I often pose is, when does a woman get human rights? We recognize that all women should get fundamental human rights control of their bodies, provided that they're not using their bodies to harm other people. But I mean, sex-selective abortion is a thing in Canada. Right? The Globe and Mail and, and countless other um, news outlets have done exposés on um, sex-selective abortions being a thing. And no, focusing on a preborn human and acknowledging their value as a human being and worthiness of human rights, because human rights have to begin when the human's life begins, doesn't devalue the woman. It, it um, should certainly instruct us as society to better support that woman better help that mother through pregnancy, but we're not usurping their moral decision-making any more than we would be by telling them that they can't kill their born children, right? The, the, the age old expression that I, I'm actually, 
seeing fewer and fewer people familiar with on street corners of this expression of my right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. That, that isn't because you're more valuable than I am. That's because my right to swing my fist does not supersede your right to bodily protection, health, and well-being, and ultimately your right to life, right? That um, we are already removing the decision-making when it comes to killing born humans. And so we're not usurping their decision-making outright. We're simply saying that no human being, regardless of whether they're a pregnant mother or anybody else, can make decisions that will directly and intentionally harm or, in the case of abortion, decapitate, dismember, and disembowel a human being. That, yeah, we are definitely taking that decision out of people's hands, just like we've taken that similar decision out of the hands of parents of born children and the general member of society, right? And so um, we're, we're not usurping their bodies or their wombs. Obviously, we're wanting to support them through that hardship, especially if they've become pregnant um, in the case of sexual assault where they had no um, consent, no no decision-making in that sexual act. We want to and absolutely have to support that mother. But it's absolutely ridiculous to think that pro-lifers are doing this because we want to devalue women. We absolutely want to uphold the, the rights and value of women, including pre-born women, including women whose life began at the moment of fertilization. And so we need to trace human rights back to when the human life begins. I know that I've said that a few times already today, and you're going to hear it an awful lot more. Um, but I, I think that's where we need to focus the conversation. The fact that these decisions, um, it's not a matter of not trusting a pregnant mother any more than having um, social opposition to killing born children and, and legal opposition to killing born children as not trusting parents of born children. Obviously, there are some parents that, that we can't trust to make that decision because they might make a decision to kill their born child. We know the vast majority of them aren't going to do it. And sure, we can, we can trust them to be good, supportive parents. But for the few who would contemplate killing a born child, we absolutely have to take that decision out of their hands, I think. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's something that the document talks a little bit about as well, Cam. Uh, it mentions, and I quote, we can trust pregnant women to act in the best interest of their fetuses, and that can mean having an, an abortion, end quote. And like you said, we, we certainly do trust mothers. We certainly do trust people. Um, but abortion should, should never be an option. And, and you might be wondering as you're listening to this, uh, you guys continually say on, on almost every episode that, you know, if a human life begins at fertilization, that we should never be allowed to have an abortion after that or end the life of that child after that. And yeah, you know what? Um, you know, that's what every single argument comes down to. Absolutely. Uh, but it's really it's really good to, to know how to respond to with that argument in some of these different circumstances. And um, when we know that the preborn, the child begins at the, their life begins at fertilization, then we have to ask, how can it be in the best interest of the fetus for us to end that child's life? I mean, how, how could it be in the best interest of the fetus? you know, to, to decapitate them, to, to, to burn them, to, to end their life in the various ways that abortion procedures are done. And I don't think a sane person can say, um, understanding that our lives began at fertilization, that that can ever be in the best interest of a child. I mean, we can trot out the toddler here as well uh, when we're in conversation, because that's what we want to do is, is share with you how we can have good conversations and just ask, you know, 
let's say someone's in a difficult circumstance like you, you like you're talking about should we uh, trust the mother if the mother decides to end the life of her two-year-old child or one-year-old child or or you put in an age and every person that i've experienced on the street and perhaps you as well cam and for all of the other activists that are listening i'm sure you as well um would have to say that no one would say that we should be allowed to you know to, to trust someone to end the life of their child at any stage in their development or at any age. And, and so we have to bring that back to abortion. If we shouldn't, um, if we should never support ending the life of a child um, for that sort of reason, because we say it's in quote unquote, their best interest after birth, then why should we be allowed to do it to the very same child for perhaps the very same reason uh, before birth? Totally. And, and I think it, it brings up a good point, even as you trot on the toddler that, as a society, we, we are developing a greater and greater problem as we think of killing as being a solution, right? How many times do we hear it now on, on end-of-life matters as well for assisted suicide euthanasia? You know, it, it's better for them to die than for them to um, endure whatever they're going through. And I'm sure that we're going to have to do a, a full episode. I, I know that we, we talk a lot about the future episodes that we're going to do. I promise we're not doing it just to have teasers and, and trailers for them. It's because each of these arguably deserve their own episode. Um, and when we work through a document like this, obviously there's lots of different points that come up. But this idea of existence being better than non-existence, the, the idea of, you know, if we can avoid killing, uh, if we can avoid suffering by killing somebody, then, then it's not great. Um, doesn't make sense at all to say that, oh, well, this... This preborn child, once they're born and once they continue um, their trajectory after they're born, all that kind of thing, they're going to live a difficult life. Therefore, it's better for them not to be born at all. We're not talking about preventing their existence in the first place. We're talking about ending their existence. We're talking about literally um, snuffing them out from the planet. We, I mean, last week we talked about uh, talked with Laura Clausen and and her incredible video about the magical birth canal. This idea of a preborn child being in some fantasy land that isn't part of our universe and that they're not actually in the world yet is nonsense. And so, yeah, we we have to acknowledge that killing humans is literally the worst harm that we could do unto them. Um, and and we'll talk more about that in another episode. Maybe we'll get somebody who's a little bit more. I don't know, metaphysically inclined or theologically inclined or whatever background we have to have to have that discussion about existence versus non-existence. But, but for, for the conversations that we're having, we have to have that as the core that we can't simply solve suffering by killing sufferers. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And that's a good thing to remember, um, to ask as well in conversations that we're having, wherever we might be, uh, to, to end this, this fetus focus fallacy section, um, uh, Joyce Arthur talks about giving women the necessary support and resources um, and all of that. And and when they have that support, when they have the resources that they need to raise children, then we can be confident, and I quote, that we can be confident that they will be good mothers, end quote. Um, I, I, have, I have a little pushback on that. I, I, I'm sure we can all think of examples of, of women who have uh, ample support and resources and are not very good mothers. Uh, and some who who lack some of the, the support and resources that would be extremely helpful uh, to raise a kid and are absolutely wonderful mothers. So uh, the, the, that doesn't logically flow uh, one from the other, that if the necessary support and resources, then uh, every single time they will be good mothers. But to end this, this section, she mentions the best way to protect fetuses and children is to support pregnant women and mothers. 
Uh, what do you what do you make of that, Cam? Boom! Well, I I would argue that we couldn't agree more. I mean, this this is common ground for us, right? We we agree that we want to support pregnant mothers, and that in supporting them, we will protect the preborn children and their parents, right? That um, this is absolutely why we have people like Laura Clauston and Choice Purdue. This is absolutely why we have a, an incredible network of pregnancy care centers and churches and other groups that are working to support mothers and fathers because we genu- genuinely care about the mothers, the fathers, and the children, whether they're preborn or whether they're born. We genuinely care about them. And yeah, the best way to help them often is through that support. But we can't forget about the education as well, right? Because often at this point in Canada, where a huge majority of people in one um, circumstance or another, maybe in all circumstances, think that abortion is appropriate, we have to educate to protect preborn children. Every day in Canada, approximately 300 preborn children are killed by abortion. And that while, yes, support is important for their protection, as, as Laura said last week, we already have a tremendous amount of material, emotional, psychological, spiritual support available for mothers. And yet there's a steady, per, steady parade of mothers going to their local abortion facility um, to end the life of their children, not because the support isn't there, but because the education isn't there. Because groups like CCBR and, and others haven't reached them with the reality of what abortion does to an innocent, vulnerable human being. The fact that it, as I mentioned earlier, decapitates, dismembers, and disembowels that innocent, vulnerable human being. That education, I would argue, at this time, is the best way to protect preborn children. And I would go so far as to even take that a step further, that because of because abortion kills a child, it has a profound emotional, spiritual, psychological, and arguably physical impact on that mother as well. And so I would argue that one of, if not the best way to protect mothers from the pain that comes from abortion in all those different areas is through education, is through education of the injustice of abortion so that they do not consider, so they do not um, make that decision, protecting their child's life and their own, um, whether you want to call it quality of life or whether it's their own personal, emotional, psychological health um, is education of the injustice of abortion. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so she goes on from there uh, with the question, are these the key questions in the abortion debate? And this is one area, uh, you mentioned this earlier, Cam, as, as we open the episode. Uh, this is one place where I really appreciate, um, you know, the fact that she's not strawmanning us. She's, she's looking at the pro-life position and trying to accurately describe what it is here in this document. Some of the key questions that she notes um, and wonders whether these are actually the key questions are, when does life begin? Is a fetus a person? Is abortion murder? And she writes, and I quote, anti-choice people, or pro-life, anti-choice, we're called anti-choice quite regularly. Uh, anti-choice people insist that the morality and legality of abortion rests on when life begins and whether a fetus is a person or not. If so, abortion is murder, they say, and therefore immoral and illegal, end quote. Uh, she mentions right uh, right there what we've been saying uh, the entire time that this podcast has been in existence, uh, that the morality and legality of abortion ought to rest on when the life of a human being begins. And, uh, and she, she follows the logic um, because if the life begins at that point, if, if your life and my life uh, began at fertilization, then abortion must be the ending of that human life 
and therefore, by its very nature, immoral and ought to be illegal. Something um, that's not ha happening here in Canada. It's completely legal in Canada, uh, but ought to be illegal if it's ending a human life. But Kim, she, what, what does she think of those questions? Um, do, does she think those are good key questions that we should be asking about the abortion debate, or does she propose several others? No, so she she rejects those as being central to the abortion conversation and and shifts it away from the humanity of the preborn towards and I quote it depends totally on the aspirations and needs of women end quote shifting the the conversation away from the humanity of the preborn and towards um, the the aspirations and needs of women and. Again, this is where we get incredibly dangerous, right? We've trotted out the toddler on several occasions already. This toddler is going to get super tired by the end of the episode. They're going to be ready for a long winter's nap because they're going to be doing a lot of trot trotting. Um, would we ever say that about a born child? Would we ever say that the, the conversation about infanticide or killing toddlers is not actually about whether or not they're human beings worthy of human rights, but rather about totally depending on the aspirations and needs of the woman. No, we absolutely would not say that. She goes on to suggest that women have abortions regardless of what the law says, regardless of um, any risk to their lives or their health, regardless to the morality of abortion, regardless to what the fetus may or may not be. And that may be true, right? Like, I, I think that there's debate to be had on whether or not... Um, the the frequency of abortion goes down if it's made illegal. I think we can talk about the the frequency of abortion when a mother acknowledges the the risk to their own life if they're having a um, illegal abortion. All that kind of stuff. I think that we can have those conversations. But regardless of whether they're going to have abortions in those circumstances or not, that only speaks to the importance of education, not to the importance of abortion access. The fact that women are going to may have abortions. Um, even if it's socially rejected, even if it's legally rejected, doesn't mean that it should be legal. As we talked about with Tabitha, we, we need to increase our education. That's why CCBR exists, because we need to change public opinion, because our ultimate goal is a change in public behavior. Yes, we want to change public behavior so that nobody is having abortions. The law is a part of that. Public opinion is a part of that. Education is the solution to those women having those abortions in those circumstances, not access to legal abortions. Yeah, so the, the questions that she notes are the real questions, the real uh, questions that we should be focused on in this conversation. There are three of them that she mentions. Uh, number one, should we let women suffer and die from unsafe illegal abortions? Number two, should we force women to bear children against their will? And number three, should we force unwanted children to be born? Uh, these are the questions, as you'll notice, um, very much focusing on the women. And, and I want to highlight here, uh, as the pro-life movement, uh, we're not saying that, uh, you know, we, we should never focus on the women. We should never be concerned about her lived experience, what she's going through. Uh, I think one thing that was highlighted in the conversation that we had with Laura Clausen from Choice for Two is that that's actually not the case. I, you know, the mainstream media might lead you to believe that's the case. The pro-choice uh, movement might lead you to believe that that is the case. But from her experience, the pro-life movement has been extremely quick to help women out when they find out that there are women that are in need. But not only the women, but also to help their child out as well. So, Cam, when we, when we look at these questions, 
Uh, should we let women suffer and die from unsafe illegal abortions? You know, should we force women to to bear children against their will? Should we force unwanted children to be born? There's something in these questions that makes us like, wow, you know, like I don't want women to to suffer. I don't want them to die from unsafe uh, abortions or unsafe anything. Really, I I don't want to force women to to bear children against their will and all of that. But how how would you say that those aren't fundamental to the abortion debate? I mean, we certainly don't want these to happen. If we find out that there are women who, you know, are suffering uh, from various ways, are being forced, we do everything we can to help them. But how, how could we say that these are not central to this conversation? Well, I, I, obviously it goes back to what Joyce Arthur would argue is the, the fetus focus fallacy of, at the end of the day, if abortion does directly and intentionally kill an innocent human being, then when do we kill innocent humans to solve even the most challenging of problems? I was talking again last yesterday with a, with a different young woman about abortion, doing some door knocking in Calgary here, and and she was making this argument that we we absolutely need this available. And and I, I pressed her on when do we kill other innocent born humans to solve problems? Because we agree that there's a ton of really complicated, really tragic, really profoundly suffering mothers and fathers with born children. And when would we ever suggest we kill an innocent born human to kill a preborn child? And, and as soon as we focus the conversation around who is it okay to kill to solve problems and who is it not okay to kill, then we get down to the point of the issue. Then it's not about whether or not it's done safely and legally. It's not about whether or not we're forcing people to maintain um, their their parenthood status or unwanted children. It becomes about whether or not we value all human lives as being equally worthy of the right to not be killed. And so I, I think that that even your language should resonate with a lot of the listeners in that as we respond to each of these, we have a tremendous amount of common ground. And instead of directly refuting it, if, if somebody asks you on the street, like, shouldn't, should we ever let women suffer and die from safe, unsafe, illegal abortions? Our knee-jerk reaction might be to simply refute that of this is what we need to do. This is how we solve it. This is why that wouldn't happen. But I, I would desperately encourage the audience to, to remember that common ground, to say, no, obviously we don't want women dying from illegal abortions. Obviously, we don't want that happening. Would we bring out the analogy, right? Imagine that mothers were dying from unsafe, illegal infanticide operations. Would we ever suggest that we legalize it and make it safer so that mothers are not harming themselves or dying from these back alley infanticide operations and, and projects and procedures and whatever? No, we wouldn't do that. And so if we're not willing to make those quote-unquote accommodations for mothers um, who have born kids, why for pre-born kids, similar to the other two questions, right? Should we force women to bear children against their will? Find some common ground. Obviously, we don't want to be forcing mothers to, or forcing women to become mothers against their will. That's why we have to do so much more for education and programming to prevent sexual assault and rape and um, this, these atrocious acts of, of traumatic um, violence towards mothers and women. Obviously, we need to do more to punish the perpetrators. We need to do more to um, support and help these women, whether they become pregnant or not. Obviously, we need to do more for all of those areas. 
would we be willing to force mothers to continue caring for born children against their will? Yeah, until we find somebody else who can responsibly care for that child, whether that takes a matter of hours or days or weeks or even months to find somebody who can assume responsibility for her born child, we are going to compel her to continue caring for her born children. That's why we can appropriately, though tragically, um, need to do that for mothers of born children, uh, pre-born children as well. And lastly, that should we force unwanted children to be born, should we force unwanted children to turn two or turn three or turn four, should we force these unwanted children to continue their lives after they're born? Obviously, we should. Obviously, we should try to find ways to ensure that they are surrounded by love. Obviously, we want every child to be a wanted child. But that doesn't mean that we kill all the unwanted children. That means that we cultivate a society of love and support and wanting sort of thing. <laughs> the different solutions to these very legitimate, very real problems. Cam, you mentioned some some key things there that I, I want to highlight. Um, just go back on. You talked about finding that common ground. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of some of the, the conversations that I've seen on social media recently. Um, it's really easy to be quite antagonistic. Um, but what you're saying is when we're in conversation with someone who supports abortion, someone who's bringing up some of these justifications, we want to find common ground where we can uh, to have a good and effective and reasonable conversation. And then we want to, to trot out the toddler, ask some of these questions, use uh, the trotting out the toddler as an analogy. We've talked about it before. We're going to we're going to highlight it now, and uh, I'm sure we will talk about it in episodes to come because that is fundamental and foundational to the apologetics that we use at CCBR, to the apologetics that we use when we go in the streets. Uh, we don't want to to have a, uh, you know, like a facts don't care about your feelings kind of mentality when we're out there, uh, kind of, a, you know, we're going to we're going to win this debate and we're going to do it now sort of sort of mentality. And, and you know. I love Ben Shapiro, and, and I don't think facts uh, by themselves care about your feelings, uh, but we are not facts. We are human beings, and we're having conversations with other human beings, and so we want to be cognizant and aware of you know, their experiences and some of the things they believe, and if we really want to change their mind when it comes to the issue of abortion, and we ought to want to change their mind considering what abortion really is, then these are some of the things that we should remember. You highlighted them um, uh, in in a really, really clear way, Cam, uh, finding common ground with some of the things that they bring up, uh, using analogies and asking questions as we trot out the toddler and and try to compare the born child with the pre-born child. What she, what she ends this little portion here, Cam, is this quote, true justice demands that women not be compelled to bear children they don't want. And, and you touched on that a little bit about, you know, should we should we force unwanted uh, children not to turn you know two or three or four years old or anything like that? And so we really need to ask what is true justice? What is justice? What what is justice when we're thinking about the women? What is the justice when we're thinking about the lives of the preborn children? And uh, and justice would be you know treating treating them equally as human beings and treating them equally means we ought not be allowed to end the life of either the mother, which I don't think anyone's suggesting, uh, but also not the preborn child. So this this document continues, and the, the next section is titled 
Society cannot decide what the fetus is. And so, Cam, this se- she seems to be anticipating this episode. She seems to be anticipating some of the things that we have brought up, uh, anticipating that we're going to bring up science and biology and all of these things. And so she says, and I quote, there will never be a consensus on what the fetus is because the question is inherently subjective and unscientific. It is a matter of personal opinion, end quote. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about the biology. Uh, I mean, we, we don't have to go in-depth to talk about whether this is scientific or unscientific or subjective or objective. Uh, but what would you respond? I mean, what, someone's on the streets. Someone brings this up. Uh, you know, how, how would you respond to this, Cam? So I think the simplest way, and, and I'm sure that you're probably plugging your ears by this point for the, that toddler. Um, I feel like we should name the toddler just to, to recognize his great service um, to this episode. But I, I think that the simplest way is simply to trot out the toddler again and suggest what if we say there's never going to be a consensus on what a toddler is, because the question is inherently subjective and unscientific. It's a matter of personal opinion. If you think that your two-year-old son or daughter is a human being worthy of human rights, cool. If you don't, cool. If we take that approach for born humans, we are going to have born humans being killed. And we have a very accurate visceral rejection of that. We, we thankfully still have enough people that have a, a conscience formed to the point where they know that that would be awful and horrendous to just have parents killing their two-year-old kids because they decided that they weren't humans in their personal worldview or opinion. This is not a matter of personal opinion. This is not a matter of, you know what, um, I, I think that pineapple should never end up on a pizza or I think it's the greatest pizza topping ever. This isn't a matter of personal opinion. This is a matter of life and death. And that's why we absolutely have to have a scientific and objective opinion on this. And and she talks in, in this paragraph about how biology, medicine, law, philosophy, and theology have no consensus, and neither does society. And it, it, it makes me wonder, is that because the question is complicated, or is that because people are either incredibly foolish or incredibly desperate to cling on to abortion? Right throughout history, we've had a lot of bad biologists. We've had biologists that have thought that dolphins and whales are fish because they swim. We've had a lot of bad doctors who thought that it was cool to experiment on other human beings against their will and infect them with malaria and plunge them into freezing cold water to see what the the outcome hypothermia would be. We've had terrible lawyers. We've had terrible philosophers. We've had terrible theologians. I agree that there may not be an absolute consensus. However, we can not only rely on um, the prevailing universal acceptance, as we talked in, in episode two within the biological community, but also we can look at the very simple common sense approach to this and say, you know what, regardless of whether society agrees with this or not, this is objectively wrong or objectively right. I mean, throughout history, things that were supported by the populace, by the majority of people in a particular society, have been outrageously wrong, right? The, the fact that um, whether discrimination on human rights based on gender or on skin color or religion or identity or whatever these different things, people get killed when we discriminate on human rights. And to say, oh, well, society didn't agree that those members of society were actually valuable members of society 
is simply fueling injustice. And so we have to go to a simple definition. We have to go to an objective and scientific definition that everyone can recognize. And so I, I would just, yeah, trot out the toddler. Um, I know that was a long-winded way to trot out the toddler, but um, absolutely trotting out the toddler to um, reject that notion of personal opinion. We wouldn't say that for born kids, so why for Yeah, that, that's absolutely right, Cam. Uh, and and one of the things he mentions on this article, this uh, this this PDF, is that some people believe a fertilized egg is a full human being with an absolute right to life that supersedes any right of the woman. Others believe that a fetus attains moral value only after it becomes viable or upon birth. But that's all these beliefs are, opinions. There's no way to decide between them because they are subjective and emotional. And I, I think I'm thinking back, Cam, to that quote that I that I started the episode off with. A fetus becomes a person when the woman carrying it decides it does. It seems ridiculous to me, and I know to you as well, and and I hope to, to all of our viewers that a person or a human becomes something only when their guardian or their parent decides that that human being becomes that. You know, that, that means I could decide that when my, my firstborn son was uh, in the womb, he became a, 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 hu- a person at six months. And now my second child, who's, who's not born yet, uh, still in the womb, he became a person at three months. And uh, that is objective. Uh, that is true because that's that's what I say. That can't be. I mean, we have to have a standard for all of them. But w- when she talks about a fertilized egg, let's just talk about uh, a human egg, an unfertilized egg, uh, an egg by itself, when left alone in the the environment that it ought to be in, that it's supposed to be in, that it is in, uh, will never grow up into a fully developed human being. And we can say the same thing with a sperm. Uh, thankfully. Uh, that a sperm left by itself in it in its uh, natural environment will never grow up into a fully developed human being. Uh, but we we have to say something different when we're talking about a fertilized egg, when we're talking about a an embryo as as a human zygote, which is a stage of development, helps us to understand the age of a particular human being. Uh, this is the beginning of when human life begins. And so, if this is when human life begins, even though Many people have so many different beliefs, so many different opinions. Uh, we hear it on the streets, Cam. People say, yeah, add viability, even though they're not really sure at, at times when viability exactly is. Or some people say, uh, the, you know, they should receive human rights when they can feel pain. They should receive human rights when they're sentient. They should receive human rights uh, when their heart starts beating or anything like that. But doesn't it logically follow? Shouldn't we say that we should give human rights to the human being when that human begins to exist. Any other point after that seems to be an arbitrary point uh, of development that we, we decide. Those are opinions um, on, on what we think is the value of these human beings. Uh, any point before fertilization, we're talking about human parts. We're not talking about human beings at that point. Uh, but the moment of fertilization, when each of us began, uh, we, we have to say to, to be consistent with our position that we believe in the right to life for all human beings, that this is the point we should be giving human beings, human rights. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that to go back to an earlier um, notion that, that Joyce actually brings up, this notion of justice, I I would honestly say that justice demands that these mothers are given this information. I've spoken with literally hundreds, probably even thousands of mothers of dead preborn children who have come to realize that their opinion was wrong. Their opinion that it wasn't a human being until they were born, therefore abortion was okay for them, 
was wrong. And these mothers are absolutely devastated, absolutely devastated when they realize that their opinion was incorrect, when this wasn't actually a matter of personal opinion, but a matter of objective fact. And that's something that they may have come to completely on their own. Because in our heart of hearts, we recognize that um, if something's growing, it must be alive. Even from one cell to two cell to four cell, that is growth. And that is a very, very simple indicator of life. And if that living organism from the moment of fertilization has human parents, they must be a living member of the human species. And if it's wrong to discriminate human rights based on other arbitrary um, extrinsic factors, it's wrong to discriminate human rights based on age, therefore abortion is, is a human rights violation. The number of mothers that I have encountered who have been devastated by the realization of this fact that yes, we have incredible post-abortive healing and health ministries, whether Silent No More Awareness Campaign, whether um, Choice for Two, whether the local pregnancy care center that does um, retreats and, and counseling for mothers who have chosen abortion. I think justice demands that these mothers are made aware of this, that this isn't public, a personal opinion. This isn't just the prevailing thoughts of contemporary society, that there is objective truth, there is objective fact on this being a human being and it being only appropriate for all humans to get human rights. I think that justice demands that, that we act on this. And obviously, Peter, you and I are, are trying our best to do this through the work that we're doing with CCBR. I think obviously many of our listeners, um, whether they're involved with the various against abortion groups across Canada, whether um, other pro-life groups across Canada, um, our, our staff and colleagues and our volunteers and our financial supporters, obviously they are all active in this um, conversation, in this culture war. But if you're not actively involved, if you're not actively demanding this justice in the world, not only for preborn children, but also for their mothers and fathers, the information they absolutely deserve, then, then I hope that you will consider having a conversation with a friend or family member in this next week. I know that can be difficult. I know that we often say, oh, well, I need to do more research. I need to do more learning. I need to have more um, information on how to have these conversations. You know, Peter and I have covered a lot of this information and you may not need to have the entire conversation in one breath. Go out and deliver the justice that, that is demanded in our society, that, that information that is absolutely essential for maybe it's your sister, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's somebody um, that you ride the bus with every day. Um, justice demands that mothers and fathers and men and women receive this information before they make a decision that is going to end the life of their child and drastically transform their own lives for the rest of their time. Yeah, and by, by way of encouragement, I, I think about when I first started going on the streets and perhaps you were the same thing, Cam, uh, I had this, I had a nervousness like I had never felt before because you, I wanted to have a good conversation. I wanted to, to convince someone that abortion was wrong. I just didn't feel like I had it all together in my mind, that I didn't know all the correct information and how to articulate it well. And what really did it for me was going out there and having conversations, allowing myself to screw up in conversations, but learning from experience, getting better over time and uh, becoming more comfortable in conversations. My, my best conversations were, were not, you know, the first few weeks that I did activism, um, but I, I, I learned through that. And uh, I, I did have good conversations, but there were people that were stumped me with, with various 
arguments or, or various things that they said. And I was honest with them and said, wow, that's a that's a great point. I don't know exactly how to respond to that, but I, I you know, I'm going to look into it. And if I could get your contact information, I'll respond uh, with with some of my thoughts and, and maybe we can go from there. So, um, you know, we, we want you to go out and to have these conversations, um, even if you don't think you have it all uh, right away. But what Cam, you, what you were saying was uh, that was a good challenge. Uh, I know Marion, uh, a follow of ours and a listener, she had mentioned to us that we should include some challenges like this. And so, uh, Cam, you and I haven't talked about it a lot, how we're going to, to formulate that. But certainly we should we want to encourage you to have yeah, try to have at least one conversation about abortion this week, uh, perhaps with a, a, a pro-choice family member or friend or, or someone at your university or college or workplace or wherever you might be, maybe a spouse. I, I mean, I know some sp- some uh, married couples who have differing opinions when it comes to this. So and, and try to have a good conversation an effective conversation, one where you uh, create common ground with, with some of the things they bring up. You use analogies, you ask questions, and uh, and have it productive in that way. And and so, yeah, I, I would definitely echo those sentiments. If you can have a full conversation, then please, please, please do it. I want to give like a, this isn't a Cam Cote special. I'm sure Peter's behind this as well. I want to even simplify that. Maybe that even seems a little bit daunting to you having, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm still trying to come up with analogies. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how to build this common ground. I want to give you a very concise challenge. I want you to ask somebody four questions. Four questions. And and if you end the conversation after those four questions, then so be it. If you can continue the questions afterwards, then great. Here are the four questions. I know Peter asked them a little bit differently than I do, but here's the, the Cam Cote rendition of the four questions I want you to ask somebody. Like you said, like Peter said, whether it's a friend, family member, um, coworker, whatever it may be. First question I want you to ask them is say, hey, I've been doing a lot of learning about the issue of abortion, and I'm curious, do you think all humans should get human rights? Second question I want you to ask them is this. If something is growing, even from one cell to two cell to four cell, can't we know that it's alive? Third question, if that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she living human? And fourth, if abortion directly and intentionally kills that living human, wouldn't that make abortion a human rights violation? Practice those four questions in front of the mirror and please share them with somebody. If it goes disastrous, please let us know. If it goes really well, please let us know. We want to hear how that went. We want to, obviously we can't hold you accountable per se, but we want to challenge you to do that. And we want to hear the stories from those conversations. We want to hear if things went sideways and you have a particular issue that came up that you weren't able to respond to, if they went great and you changed somebody's mind on abortion. We want to hear about it. And how can you communicate that to us? Peter, how can people let us know how they do with this challenge? Oh, that is such a good question. I'm in charge of the social media accounts and the website. You can go to prolifeguys.com. There's a contact form at prolifeguys.com. You can check us out on Instagram at prolifeguys. You can find us on Facebook, the Prolife Guys podcast. There are messaging uh, capabilities on those apps, as you know, and you can reach out to us like that. And, uh, and we will be certain to get back to you. I was just thinking, Cam, as you were talking about, you know, that human rights argument, those four questions and getting to know a little bit more. If, if you're a reader, uh, even if you're not a reader, this would be a good resource. But if you want to learn more, we certainly are going to be sharing as much as we can here on the podcast. 
But our colleague Justina Van Manden has written an excellent resource. It is titled Stuck, A Complete Guide to Answering Tough Questions About Abortion. It's uh, one of the latest books we have here at CCBR that's come out, and it comes from thousands upon thousands upon thousands of conversations that we have had, time-tested apologetics that we've learned, and uh, and everything's been street-tested. What, what you read in the book is what we uh, use on the streets. They're the, the conversation tools that we use in the streets, the analogies that we use in the streets. There are examples of conversations in there for you to look at, and so much more. Uh, stuck, a complete guide to answering tough questions about abortion. You can find that on our website. We'll also put uh, a link in the show notes, but you can check out our website, prolifeguys.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I, I think it's safe to say, Cam, uh, since we didn't get through this entire document, that we are uh, on part one of two in in this episode of the document from Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, How to Think About the Fetus. I can't promise that it will be coming out next Tuesday, but we will try to get it out as soon as possible. Uh, so thank you so much for, for listening to this one, for staying tuned for the next one. And I just want to give a few shout outs to uh, some great people. Uh, Andrew, I don't know if I should say last names, so I'll just say first names. Andrew, if you're listening, you know who you know who you are. You wrote, I'd like to recommend this podcast to everyone. If you're not sure how to talk about abortion, or even if you should, definitely give this a listen. 10 out of 10. Andrew, thank you so much for that. You shared it with uh, your Facebook friends, the world that you have access to, and uh, we absolutely love that. We encourage everyone else to do that as well. And then uh, as I was reading some of the comments, I, I found this one by... Alyssa, um, and this is what she writes. This is my favorite podcast. I eagerly await every new release. That is amazing, Alyssa. Thank you so much for sharing. That That is encouragement for us because if no one's listening, I mean, we still have a lot of fun doing this, but we, as we've said before, we are doing this for you. Uh, we're not doing this so we can hear ourselves talk. We're doing it so that we can equip you to have good conversations about abortion, to encourage you to to have conversations about abortion, and, uh, and to share with you some of the things that we've learned over the time that we have spent here at CCBR and working in the pro-life movement. So thank you for those encouragements, Andrew and Alyssa. Uh, thank you all uh, to you who are listening and for the support that you've shown. Thank you for the comments uh, that, you, that you've left us on social media and on uh, our website and all of that. So we are extremely grateful and uh, we, hope, we hope to have you back next week as we tackle another issue surrounding the abortion conversation. Take care, everyone. We appreciate you. We thank you for your support. And uh, and go out and have those conversations, as Camp said. 